This is Speaker for the Living, a podcast where we explore human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. My name is Seth Dare. I'm here with my co-host, JJ Genflone. So today, what we're, we're going to try to cover is the use of the internet to either help or, or hinder trafficking. I think when we did our last podcast on FOSTA slash SESTA, um, we talked a lot about the, the use of the internet in advertisement of trafficking, specifically sex trafficking, and now we're going to talk about the use of the internet in ending trafficking. We're for ending trafficking, by the way. I mean, yes. One would hope. Just easier said than done. I mean, yes. But uh, part of what I've heard from a few people, you may have heard this uh, uh, as well, with FOSTA, which is the legislation that primarily is designed to affect like advertising for prostitution slash sex trafficking, even though the law as written is broader in application. But that's the concept. And then there are people who look at that and say, oh, well, now now we can end trafficking. Like that's been something that some people have actually think that because of this law is in place. But uh, that's not the case. Yeah, and... In particular, I think because the internet is this huge marketplace area, it's taken to be sort of this dark, creepy level of human trafficking where it just like happens in every corner. But in fact, it's a lot more mundane than that, where you might see someone who is trafficked being portrayed as not being trafficked on a site like a Craigslist type site selling a service. And then that makes tracking it all the more difficult. Now, there are multiple types of software that are meant to aid with the process, uh, often usable only by law enforcement. So like a long time ago, I did some research on Memex, uh, M-E-M-E-X, and I'll link to that article. I've never actually seen this collection of applications, but it's meant to collate data from multiple sources, like like with uh, advertising, so that you can... uh, look at location and phone numbers and images and try to analyze it and see what's similar and map it out. That's Mm -hmm. my understanding of some of the Memics tools, which there's more than one. And tools can be useful. There there are things that are just hard to do manually. There are things that it, it can take time to do in spreadsheets. So having software to aid in the process has value. And then a uh, long time ago, we talked about Ashton Kutcher and his Thorn products, which we also haven't seen because those are generally not publicly available except for law enforcement and such. Mm-hmm. Or if um, there are some corporations, I think, who have gained access via purchasing, but um, y'all have yet to give us millions upon millions of dollars. So we have not purchased. So on one hand, software can be useful. But uh, I've been working on the internet in uh, web design, internet marketing and such for over a decade. And there is a sense that software can do more than it can actually do. And a lot of that comes down to like automation, reporting, and forms of artificial intelligence or AI. And... Uh, among many examples, uh, analytic software, so, such as uh, looking at web stats. You can go on, and if you just want to see what your traffic trends are, like how many visits per day, 
that's pretty easy. You go in, there's a easy report that you can figure out. If you want to figure out what that means, that's harder because then you have to correlate it with other data, such as uh, when are you doing mailings? Are there any things in the industry that might have affected traffic? Where are the, spi the traffic spikes coming from? Is it because you posted on Twitter and it became very popular and a bunch of people came in one day to, to one article? So that figuring out insights from data is harder than just getting a report. And we put a lot of trust in data, to, in like big data, which is when you have like Amazon level data. Mm -hmm. But as you can attest, like even though there are algorithms that say Amazon and Netflix, to give two good examples, that they have algorithms that figure out, hey, based on your viewing history, purchase history, we think you would like to buy X or Z. And some of the time you're like, yes, that, that looks really interesting. And then other times you're like, no, I, I don't need that because that's like for somebody who's not like me. You know, <laughs> I've seen examples like Rex has had some good examples of things that just don't relate. Well, and I think, you know, anyone who has Netflix or, or an online streaming service sort of thing um, will tell you that any sort of online software or something that's built into a system that tracks analytics will inevitably be wrong because sometimes what it'll take is demographic information. And so as a, as a woman who's about to be 30, I get a ton of advertisements for like kid related stuff um, because I might occasionally also play on Netflix for like kids that I'm nannying or babysitting for Disney movies or, you know, like I like a good Disney movie, so I'll watch it myself. And as a result, I get all of these advertisements um, across my streaming services that are integrated like via Amazon for like diapers. Those are not things I'm interested in, nor do I want, but it's what people that fit like a certain number of, I guess, coding nodes want. So it shows up for you. And the examples we're giving here are two of the better ones. Like Netflix. Oh, yeah, those are the has, ones who are like work really well. Yeah. Netflix has a above average set of data analysis and they, they look at everything. They look at how long things are watched and, and all sorts of trends. So, so getting the data is one thing. So we're going to pull it all together and we're going to create reports and then analyzing it to figure out what it means is harder. But part of what we're establishing here is that even the best organizations and companies at doing that fall short of being fully accurate by a lot. And if they can't be fully accurate, then when we're talking about human trafficking, which tends to have substantially less data as, as a baseline. I mean, the, the, the law enforcement data is inconsistent on it to begin with. I mean, even uh, with the FBI, who has some of the best standardized data, there's lots of law enforcement data that they lack. And then human trafficking, like there's lots of things that are prosecuted under other things than human trafficking or sex trafficking. So sometimes it'll be lesser charges just to get people off the street. And then advertising, there's so many ads out there. Then you know, we can bring in Facebook here. Privacy issues aside, Facebook had trouble 
not having foreign governments and foreign subsidiaries of governments and proxies and what have you buying advertising. And then they even have rules about what types of accounts and that you're supposed to have real names and stuff. And they don't even get that right all the time. So like Facebook falls short and then they're trying to figure out ways of analyzing for certain types of extreme speech as is YouTube. So we'll, well, let's look at Facebook and YouTube. Both both of them have false positives. False positive in this case is they want to get rid of certain dangerous or hateful speech. And sometimes that means it'll flag things incorrectly as being some type of extreme or dangerous type of uh, content. So again, those are two people who have lots of data and when they're trying to manage the content, they get it wrong. Now, how often do they get it wrong and to what degree is it useful? That automated tools only go so far and that's really the key issue that tools that like Memex or that Thorn provides can be very useful and trying to parse a lot of data and figure out what it means and to make connections where it can be dangerous is when you stop having the human element and having the person thinking this is what the artificial intelligence tells me is it true is it accurate? Is it missing something? Is it garbage in, garbage out? And so my conclusion to that is you have to be careful about trusting what the data tells you. And just to just to interrupt really quickly, garbage in, garbage out is something actually that we mention a lot in, in academia. But for those of you who aren't familiar with it, garbage in means that the the information that you've coded or the information that you have is flawed in some fundamental way. So maybe like your survey was shitty. Your, um, the information you had like was maybe like put in by a coder incorrectly. The variables you were looking at is bad. So you have garbage data and that means whatever conclusions you draw from that data are also going to be garbage. So that's what you're rolling with. Right. And so part of what some companies are concerned about right now with FOSTA is because of the liability and them being unsure right now what they would be held liable for or what somebody might try or what a state attorney general might try to sue them for under civil law. Mm -hmm. Is they're like, we're not sure how well we can manage the policing of certain types of ads for, say, erotic services. And in this case, well, let, let's say legal ones would be some legal ones, JJ. Yeah. So people looking to either hire, you know, say exotic dancers or strippers, um, maybe a burlesque looking to hire or exotic dancers looking for, you know, like private venue events. So um, a lot of times you'll see advertisements for exotic dancers of various sorts saying for like bachelor or bachelorette parties, we'll come dance for you like in a, in a private space that you've rented, you know, something, something to that effect. Um, you'll also see in, in certain contexts, BDSM stuff, it kind of depends on jurisdiction and like what sort of 
of uh, action, you'll also occasionally see for legal services like um, erotic phone lines or, or like cam girl, cam guy sessions. And sometimes even like open calls for pornography shoots. So all things that are under U.S. law are, are legal uh, erotic services that you can buy and sell um, as opposed to like actual escorting. So for any of that, companies can have their algorithms, which is just uh, a bunch of ways of analyzing data based on existing data. So a really simplistic version of that would be to look for certain keywords or the if certain keywords are used very often. So the prevalence of keywords, I- images can be analyzed. And this is- and this is super easy if you've ever done yourself. Like, just think of it if you've ever done yourself. If if you're like me and sort of like every morning when you're having your coffee, you like to play around on Instagram. So you're like, I'm just going to search hashtag cats, hashtag tattoo, hashtag target and see like what comes up having all three. You know, it's, it's basically a, a much more synthesized version of that. Well, and yeah, and a very, very simple one, simple example like you can't use ISIS in an ad on Google. So, you know, there, there's certain things where it's going to say like certain words you can't use at all. There are words that it knows our brand name, like Starbucks. So, hey, we have Starbucks mm-hmm. coffee. And it'll say, no, that's a brand name. You can't use it. That's really simple. But what some people you can do. You can't use uh, racial slurs, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. That's when it's the same word. Like there's ways you can get around filters. And so mm-hmm. people that do ads, they might think, well, we know this isn't going to pass. So we're going to use different types of, of keywords. Image filtering is getting more advanced. But again, image and video filtering and audio filtering. So like uh, YouTube will try to filter for copyrighted music. And that's an imperfect filter as well. It's easier when it's an original source. But on any of these things, there can be false positives on one hand, where it's flagging something that shouldn't be, but then the other is also true, is sometimes it doesn't flag content that needs to be because people try to avoid doing things that are going to get them flagged. So when you talk about human traffickers, and not just somebody who's deciding to go into it for the first time, but people who actually unfortunately do that sort of thing for a living that if they want to make money and not get caught then they have to figure out ways to get around the filters and ways to get around the ai and this also too and like we're not really addressing this you can be advertising legal service like services that are legal under u.s law but be using trafficking victims as your labor you know that's what you have to consider within this so you can be advertising legal services like stripping but be using human trafficking victims you can be advertising a legal service like oh i don't know mowing someone's lawn doing garden work but be using a victim of trafficking and so that's something that the algorithm is very rarely going to pick up unless it's looking for you know under a certain price point right like domestic servitude live-in maids that sort of thing and while sex is sometimes part of that it doesn't have to be And so then that's trafficking. Uh, Agriculture, I would expect to be offline, but any type of thing like that, there's potential labor trafficking. But labor trafficking is something that, as JJ and I have talked about, it doesn't get as much focus because 
People think sex trafficking, how or how horrible. Agreed. Child sex trafficking, how even more horrible. Agreed. But labor trafficking is just as horrible as sex trafficking. So to go back to companies, when companies are trying to figure out what level of responsibility they need to have, and again, this relates to FOSTA and why some companies are pulling certain sections to not deal with them at all, mm-hmm. is they don't know where people are going to think them liable, even though it's only supposed to be for, for companies that actively facilitate or promote. They're not sure that if they just don't do a good enough job of policing whether they'll be sued for it. And algorithms catching 100% of illicit ads anything of a certain type of ad, that's highly unlikely. So again, this gets to, it doesn't mean tools can't be useful and it doesn't mean algorithms can't be useful. But on one hand, they have to learn over time. But you're only going to get so so far along that and that's great if you want to catch most of it and you're you're okay with missing some and having some false positives that you have to deal with like with this whole thing with uh, diamond and silk who are african-american commentators who fox news loves these two women where uh, they were mentioned in the facebook proceedings and then they were brought to capitol hill and without getting to the politics of it they were allegedly falsely flagged as being i believe it was a dangerous site so mm-hmm. and so putting what actually happened aside as well just to use that as an example of as expressed that is a false flag or not a false flag <laughs> not that type of false flag not the alex jones type of false flag i was gonna say you're letting your sorry go happen don't like alex jones by the way but it is a it's flagging something that shouldn't be flagged. That's what it would look like. And for the sake of discussion, let's take Diamond and Silk's word for it that that's what happened. Well, that's one example. And how much flack did Facebook get? And how much news did that get for one example? So something being a false positive is not necessarily insignificant because companies can get flack for that too. And that's just for something like PR. That's not even getting into legal issues where you might get sued for something or not catch somebody who is trafficking somebody. Yeah. And I, again, this is, this is an issue. So we, we talked about this briefly with the FOSTA and SESTA thing is that so law enforcement officials, sometimes even without using sort of like fancy algorithms, uh, algorithms or software will actually like just take the time to troll through these posts to look and See if there's anything about them that pops out at them and says, like, this, you know, this seems weird. This is not the going price. This is not how people generally advertise. Um, This is someone using um, photos that we've seen used before um, by someone who's engaged in trafficking. Um, And so the removal of sites like Backpage and things to places where it's then harder for people to actually, like, physically go with their own eyeballs and look makes it makes it difficult to actually catch sometimes trafficking. Right. And the the so-called deep web, which uh, the deep web is technically what's behind a login or something that's on the Tor network. Uh, They sometimes call it the dark web. Uh, That's dark web is technically something else altogether. Like uh, 
things that aren't on the normal internet. Can you explain the difference? For most people, it really doesn't matter because most people aren't on tour. But uh, there's certain military networks that aren't using the the uh, same IP structure, and so that's technically the dark web because they're not part of the internet. They're not able to be connected to the internet. It's my understanding of the dark web. Whereas the deep web is what Google cannot index, essentially. So the surface web mm-hmm. is everything that I I can access without having to use a special browser like Tor. It's not everything that's indexed by Google, but it, it technically can be indexed by Google. I say that because you can actually have a website that's publicly accessible. Like I could go mm-hmm. to it and look at everything, but there is a file that says for Google not to index it. And so then Google generally follows that that instruction and doesn't index it, but it's still the surface web. But that also means that because there are sites like that, that it could be something that anyone can publicly access on Google without a login, but that Google still doesn't index it. So if you are somebody who's more nefarious, you could tell Google not to index your site, which is really easy to do. You could have it behind a login. It could be a complicated login or not, and then it's hard to get into unless you are a hacker or are able to access it locally. And then there are things that could be on Tor, which uh, law enforcement goes on to Tor all the time because if you know where the forums are or where the the e-commerce sites are where you can buy illegal products that if they're publicly accessible on the tour network then law enforcement can go and look at everything and they do so where it gets hard is when there are things where you need to have a username and password in that case tools are only going to be of so much use unless they're hacking tools it might set up somewhat of a barrier for certain people because they might have to log in to see any information such as uh, what trafficking victims are available or whatever the traffickers are doing. But putting stuff behind logins, I mean, that's a way that pedophiles have worked for a long time, is you you have sites that are surface-level look innocuous, but then there are special pages or or links where if you go to them and you get a login, then you can see all, all these horrible things. So by making it harder, you can make it so the average everyday person who might want to get a prostitute and may or may not be aware of sex trafficking concerns of some of them. It'll inhibit people like that. And that's the difference between making things harder and ending things. And it's really not hard to set up sites with secret logins and secret pages and then spread it around to people you know. It's very easy to do. One One of the things that I'll mention too is that while we've kind of expressly talk now about like sex trafficking related purchases. There is software um, that is out there that specifically tracks um, labor trafficking. So there is a charity out of Bangkok called MAST that has software in development that looks at transporters fitted to fishing boats that track vessels' movements via satellite, um, looking for specifically um, fishing boats that are not often docking or not often going ashore, that are most likely using um, forced labor 
um, to fish. And that's because people who study human trafficking, um, particularly in response to fisheries, have found that one of the ways that these um, boats function is what they'll do is they'll perpetually um, just be at sea. They'll have another boat come up to like take the catch and deliver it but they won't have like they'll never actually dock on land because then the people who are forced to live and work on the boat could escape so what these people what mast in particular is interested in doing is like using actual software to troll reports of when people are coming in and, and out and when boats are not docking as they should because that might be a sign of human trafficking occurring on board. Um, and so that's an example of like an actual algorithm application being used to find um, victims of, of labor trafficking. Now the way that this is more often working on the global stage is in uh, assessments and auditing of supply chains and of say, farms in certain countries, factories. And uh, it's hard for corporations to know what's happening on the ground in each country. And once you have people that go and do assessments and do interviews, like worker interviews, then you have to put that data somewhere. So when I interned at Verite, who uh, works with corporations on their supply chains. I mean, that's part of their focus is how do you create tools for a given industry or for a given company so that they can say, what's happening in my factories over time? What are we going to consider red flags? What does it look like in certain areas? Are there labor brokers, a labor broker being a person who hires labors for companies? And uh, there might be more than one intermediary of a labor, labor broker. And so are there labor brokers that you look and see, okay, well, there's a lot of red flags from this person. In this case, the red flags are things you, you define and you get them based on hard data. So again, such as uh, here's what workers say or here's the factory conditions that we've observed. And between workers, between company representatives in between things that are observed, you could look at one person saying something like this labor broker didn't pay me what was promised. And that's one point of data. But then when you interview multiple people who all say the same thing about the same labor broker, mm -hmm. then, then it's easier to say, you know, I mean, there's smoke. It's probably fire. This person is probably not a good person. Software can be really helpful in trying to organize a lot of data and for seeing trends, but you only have data that you put in the system. And like worker interview data, I mean, you got to think that people are taking some risk telling people about labor conditions, but you don't know who's telling the truth. So it's where having more data is helpful in trying to figure out, okay, is this true? Well, if everyone... If all the workers say the same thing, there's a higher degree of it being true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fair. I just, what, one of the things I was hoping really to get across with this, with this podcast is that increasingly, I think within our field, people are turning to, well, the internet is a cesspit of trafficking, so the only way to 
help trafficking and solve trafficking is to do demand reduction via algorithms and, and internet searches and things of that nature. But we've seen that demand reduction ending human trafficking, people have been trying to do that for decades and it's and it still hasn't worked. And it typically is not human trafficking uh, survivor focused. And specifically demand reduction as in purchasers of sexual services. Yes. We don't really talk about, and again, like we by the field, um, we don't really talk about demand reduction on, on a labor end because um, to talk about demand reduction on labor end is then to talk about like actually like market price reduction. Like how, how do we convince the world to pay more money for tomatoes? Um, although I am, one of the things I am going to send to all of you is a political um, academic piece on how like the global economy has led to the increase of human trafficking. But that's, I mean, so that's just an issue. We don't really talk about the, the human trafficking as a demand and labor action um, just because it's like, we'd have to address capitalism and that's not an easy. Right. And what happens if you don't pay somebody? Are you going to jail? Probably not. If it's a certain scale. I mean, in America, where we have lots of laws, where we have a fair amount of enforcement, we don't have enough Department of Labor, labor inspectors to deal with all the claims of, say, of uh, wages not paid, or people who wonder, am, am I being paid fairly? Because not everyone yeah. knows because their employers aren't all honest. So if somebody has a claim, has, a, has an issue, it's often going to be either somebody who's advocating on their behalf and just being persistent, or it's a civil case, not a criminal one. In other words, it's an, a former employee or an organization suing on their behalf. It's not law enforcement coming in and doing an investigation. Now, that does happen, but when somebody doesn't get paid, it's pretty sure it's mostly civil cases. And so what's, when we're talking software, like I haven't heard of any software-related approach that's really targeting that. There, there may be some, but I haven't heard anything it's of scale. But there's demand for cheap labor. Again. There's a worldwide demand yeah, for cheap labor. That's, and how, and, and yeah, yeah. And also, too, with the exception of sort of the niche things, like I mentioned, that Mast is doing, you know, like, for example, Thorn, uh, Ashton Kutcher's organization, they're, they're still primarily, they're focused on sex, but specifically um, sexual exploitation of children. Yeah, and having listened to, to Ashton when he talked on the Hill a year or so ago, like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad there are people like him who are creating software that is going to help little girls get out of bad situations. I, I'm glad he's doing that, and I'm glad software There's can help with that. But that's not going to solve the problem. It'll help. It's part of the fight, but it's not going to solve it. No. Although if Thorne does want to hire me, I'm, I'm down. I once got drunk and wrote a really angry email. But hey, you can forgive and forget. <laughs> hire me. But it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's very much still the same thing I think we've been talking about since day one in this podcast, which is, which is what people in the, in the public discourse seem to care about is not actually reflective of the mass population in trafficking. Yeah. 
and I'm not sure who cares about what. I still have seen no media coverage of the TBPA not being reauthorized. I did email my representative and two senators, and uh, two of them didn't respond in any way. And uh, one of them, uh, Corey Gardner, he responded, or I should say his staffer responded, didn't mention FOSTA, didn't mention the TVPA, which was the one thing I asked about, but he said, hey, trafficking's bad. And then he said he passed an amendment on Bob Corker's and Human Trafficking Act, although when I looked online, he didn't. And then he said it wasn't reauthorized, except that doesn't apply to what he was talking about. So anyway, my senator seemed to have no Which idea what he was talking was about. Me. And that was really discouraging. So then I had to follow up and say a bunch of things very nicely. And then I that it was his answer was vague and confusing. So I don't know. And if you're confused about the TBPA, definitely hit that out. But I sent another tip to the podcast 1A with Josh Johnson. It's a pretty well-balanced podcast. So we'll see if he does anything. He does podcast every day. So maybe. So software. Any other software thoughts, JJ? I also just would like to mention and make sure everyone's clear on this too, is that a lot of times access to the software is quite expensive. So again, too, we're seeing only certain law enforcement agencies or certain government agencies having access to them and not necessarily NGOs. And the thing about that is that we've often seen in, in certain country contexts too, the NGOs are doing a lot more to end trafficking than the local government. So it's it's just really important to know the, the, the cost of that that has happened. Right. And uh, the shareability of human trafficking data and standards has a long way to go. There are people like Maurice Middleberg, the current director of Free the Slaves, who really values having good data and consistent data. And he's from a public health background, which uh, people say has a lot more standardization. And so he is among the people that is trying to make that happen. And uh, also in Colorado, the Laboratory for to Combat Human Trafficking has done a few iterations of the Colorado Project, where they work on the community level, talking to people and getting data. So there are, there are some efforts, but we, we are far from having shareable databases and, that use all the same methodologies or anything like that. And so that's just one of the challenges with human trafficking in general. Yeah. So technology is not the answer. Black Mirror already told us this, but we just thought we'd bring it back. It's part of the equation, but it's not the answer. Software can be a black box, but then we want to put our hope in it that it'll be able to do all these things for us, and it's oversold. It can only do so much. That software is an aid, and it is something that can make connections and process things for us, but humans are really important. You need humans to work with software to come up with the the insights that matter. So one thing I don't want is I don't want something like Minority Report where we just have the software, or in this case, the human hybrids who work through a software system, to say, hey, here's the answer. And that, that's something that uh, Professor Claude Destray and uh, Professor Oliver Kaplan and other people are talking about with rankings. Like rankings are really nice for media 
And having a number for like, this is how many victims there are. This is how prevalent human trafficking is. Like we really like to have concrete numbers, but there really aren't concrete numbers because it's a hidden crime. And so we need to be careful about what we do with rankings and numbers and final tabulations. And that includes things like profiling and so on that we we use the data and we look at it, but we have to have a human who makes a final determination to say, okay, this is what it says. Let's see if it's accurate. And that's kind of my take on software in general, but especially in like the security and human rights realm. It's a tool. It's not something you trust without reservations. Yeah. Boom. And that's the internet and trafficking. Internet and trafficking. Internet. It's big. <laughs> it's Made of tubes. Al Gore invented it. What are we going to do? We shall see. So if you uh, have any questions from the podcast, uh, let us know. And uh, we'll be back next time, whenever next time is, and talk about another topic. Oh. Bye. Bye. And since it's May 4th, may the 4th be with you. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.